You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Okay. All right. About six, seven years ago, we um, made very interesting choices with money. We, um, we were living month to month, but had very good paying jobs. Um, but we liked to spend money. We didn't have a savings account. We weren't tithing. Um, our boys knew not to ask for anything at the end of the month because we got paid on the first. And so as soon as it was the first, we blew it all and mm-hmm. um, waited till the next first to come along. Yeah, definitely living month to month. And then we um, were attending Sun Grove and, and we started hearing this message about tithing and how it's a way to get a hold of your finances and to live uh, responsible and as a steward for the money that God's given us. And we sat down and we talked and um, we figured, well, that's something we should do. Well, we were still living the American dream, you know, bigger house, better cars, keep going, keep going, keep going, you know, nothing's good enough. And uh, we heard these messages in church and we decided, let's give it a shot, let's try it. Um, at that point, we were living in a house that we really couldn't afford. We did the creative financing, the, you know... I think it was a 50-year loan. With a balloon payment. With a balloon payment. And, and the interest rate kept going up, yeah. and um, at one point, our mortgage was a huge amount of our paycheck. Almost $3,000. We, 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 we did the budget, we were tithing, we were starting to get our finances under control and being a good steward, mm-hmm. we were starting to build a savings, and the, the payment kept going up and up on our house. So we were starting to face a situation, we actually we got in the situation where we can't afford to tithe and be responsible and afford this house right um and we we had to make a decision on what we were going to do and i was really i had this idea this is the house i bought this is the house i'm going to die in this is the house i have to have for the rest of my life if if i don't live here anymore my world's going to fall apart (laughs) what's going to happen to me i like my neighbors um and i I was scared honestly i was really scared to, to do something else besides live in this home and my gut told me we had to keep tithing so it was a definitely a conversation we had so um, we short sold our house. Um, we moved into a rental. And the short sale was really fast. It was. It was faster I, than we expected it to be. I didn't have time to get used to the idea of this is no longer my home. I, I learned to be faithful that, that um, God would take care of me no matter what. This is definitely an area of growth for me. He's, he showed me that no matter what, I will have a place to live. He will take care of me. It just may not be where I think I'm supposed to be. It was definitely a shift for us to switch to, you know, God's going to provide a house. It may not be the house we think we should have or want, but God will always provide shelter for us. So our, our, our rent was much lower mm-hmm. than, than the outrageous house payment. So we were able to save more, um, give more, give in amazing ways that I never thought that we could. We don't even think about giving anymore. It's just done. If somebody asks for something, it's it's a done deal. It, it, it's amazing to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a freedom. It's definitely a freedom. And then the, the home that God moved us into, um, there was a need for a community group there. God was definitely telling us to do it. It was it was time to stretch ourselves a little bit. And he said, there's no community group. And it was finally, like, okay, God, we got it. We'll, we'll, we'll try it. And so we started with a small group of just friends and invited a few neighbors from the neighborhood just to get to know neighbors. And then it grew and it became two community groups. And then it grew and it became three community groups. And we were really blessed by the experience of having community groups in our home because we were not those people. We were not, we were not those leaders. We were not those people. 
So it was really cool. It was a really cool thing for us. And I, I would definitely say us losing our house was probably one of the best things that ever happened to us. Yes. He's continued to work on us as far as being financially responsible and, and every now and then kind of testing us to make sure that we're going to continue to tithe and be responsible. Well, now our, our owners are going to sell the house in February and we're just like, okay, God, where do you want us? We will live where God wants us to live because we know he's got something in store for us. And that's, that's really exciting. It's been pretty cool. And all because, you know, I finally listened <laughs> to God about being responsible with what he's given us and, and um, making the right choices financially. Yeah, give it up for Steve and Renee. That's just really cool just to hear some freedoms through uh, adversity and through responsibility. Hey, today this uh, sermon is going to be on money. And it's, uh, I know some of you hear that word and you kind of go, oh, I don't know. And I got to let you know this, this sermon is not on tithing. It's actually on giving. How do you and I leverage what we have in such a way that we're honoring God with it? And here's, here's the real reason. I want you to catch this, that God wants your heart he wants you like the real you. Remember last week we talked about fears that impact relationships and we put out this front out here and we try to sell that and God wants to break through that and get to our heart. And when it comes to the issue of money, what I want you to hear, because sometimes when we hear that issue of money, we feel this like knee-jerk reaction as it kind of goes, come on, no, oh, you're just talking about my money. No, it, what we're talking about today is God wanting you, the real you and your heart, and money is one of those areas that indicates where our heart is at. And so we're gonna look at that today. It's interesting because this may actually surprise you. You think, well, what was Jesus all about? And people think, Jesus was all about love. Jesus was all about healing. He was all about giving his life as a sacrifice. But it may interest you that half of the parables that Jesus taught on dealt with money. If you take the book Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you got to realize that one out of six verses deals with money and money management. Jesus talked more about money and money management than he did about heaven or hell. And people really wish he talked a lot more about heaven or hell so we could kind of have a better picture or know what, was, what it exactly was going to be like. And, and Jesus said, that's not the issue. The real issue is, of course, that's an important issue. You'll find out when you get there, one way or the other, right? But the real issue is your heart here. And that's why he talked about money. He talked about money because he wants to know you. Why? Because money can dominate our life, whether for good or for bad. It can be used for great things. It can be used for bad things. We spend so much of our time thinking about money, working for money, earning it, studying it, saving it, investing it, all these things. If you don't learn to manage your money, your money's gonna manage you. And it's usually it's usually in the arena of debt that money manages you. So Jesus tells this story in Luke 16. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke 16. If you've got it on digital form on your phone. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you do have a smartphone, you can download the U version, Y-O-U version app. It just says Bible on it and a great way to do it. It's free and it's probably one of the best apps out there for the Bible. Luke 16, the reason that this passage, by the way, this parable that Jesus tells is so confusing is because it looks like he's endorsing dishonesty. It looks like Jesus is championing dishonesty because he tells a story about a crooked, clever crook who becomes the hero of the story. And so it looks like Jesus is endorsing what a clever crook does. 
But that's not the reason Jesus did that. He did it for shock value. And he did it because he understood his audience, who he was talking to. So in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this parable. Jesus told his disciples, and let me just sideline, there are also a bunch of Pharisees and a big crowd of people around there. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what will I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take it, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. And the second, he said, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? If you've not been trustworthy handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is telling the story. In the hearing of everybody, but he's poking at the Pharisees. You say, well, who, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the people who were leading the people in the Old Testament law, the people who were leading the people in Judaism. But the thing about the Pharisees is they had made that a form of religion, but denying the power of the living God. And so they were incredibly arrogant. They weren't humble. They were so prideful. They were self-righteous. They're judgmental. In fact, they don't even really like people. It's crazy to lead people but not like people. But the number one characteristic of the Pharisee is that they were hypocrites. You say, well, what's a hypocrite? You know, that's a person who says one thing but believes something else. One who says other people do this but they do something completely different. That's a hypocrite. And in this case... With this story, Jesus is talking to people who love money. So if we look around this room, he's probably talking to a lot of people in this room. He's talking about us, right? Because in so many ways, we feel that tension in life. Do I love God or do I love this life? Do I love God? Do I love money? Do I love God? Do I love what money could offer me in this life? It, is it my kingdom or is it the kingdom of the living God? That's the tension, and so Jesus tells the story to you and to me because we feel that tension. So Jesus is telling this story because most people aren't that good at managing money. 
Some of you in this room, you have no emergency savings saved up. You've got, no, you've got little or no retirement saved up. You're living from hand to mouth. In fact, you're going from paycheck to paycheck. And for some of you, it's, it's not I'll buy when I get the money. It's I'll buy before I get the money. I heard said that if you have $10 in your pocket and no debt, you're richer than most of the people in America. Why? Because we have this stress in our life. We're putting our trust in possessions. We're taught to spend before we have that credit is easy and money can be loaned or cheap. But what it does, it begins to grab a hold of our heart and that's why Jesus takes issue with money. You and I can get deeply into debt. And then your stress level goes up. See, this message isn't about tithing. This message is about giving. It's a message about how to manage your money well, how to think about money the way that God thinks about our money. Money is one of the greatest sources of worry, isn't it? You get that unexpected bill, you get that unexpected thing, or your car starts having trouble, and all of a sudden, what, that anxiety goes up. You begin to feel all of a sudden money is worry. In fact, money is one of the leading contributors to divorce. It's not till death do us part, it's till debt do us part. That's our culture. Money becomes a source of frustration. So Jesus tells this story, but in order for us to understand money, we have to understand, first of all, what not to do with money. There's several things you and I need to do if you're taking notes today about what not to do with money. And the first thing not to do with money is don't waste it. Don't waste money. The manager in this parable, he was accused of wasting his master's possession, not his own possessions, but the ones that he was supposed to be managing, someone else's money that he was supposed to be managing. And you and I, if, if I walk around and I say it's my money, I can do whatever I want with it, and I just kind of waste it, then it's probably no big deal, right? But it's not my money. The possessions you have, the things that I have, it is God's money. Everything is the Lord's. So all of a sudden what happens is this. I start walking around saying, well, I don't want to waste God's money. See, if it's my money, it's one deal. But if it's God's money, it's a whole different deal. There's a big difference. And the first thing that we should do with money is don't waste it. Don't waste money. Second thing is don't love it. Don't love your money. Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Bible says that you and I are not to love money. Don't love it. Don't live for it. It's impossible to work with a divided allegiance. How many of you in here have ever worked for two bosses? How did that go for you? Probably not so well, right? You're going to love one or hate the other. You get your allegiance. It's so hard to have this divided loyalty, this divided allegiance. And that's what happens between God, our heart for him, and money, our heart for it. We have to make a choice. We got to get to a place. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart, and God wants your heart. That's the root. You've got to choose what's going to be number one in your life. You can't say, God's going to be number one in my life, and money's going to be number one in my life. You can't say both of those because one's got to give. You can't serve them both. You've got to choose. You come to a decision point in your life. What's going to be number one in my life? Is it going to be God or is it going to be making a lot of money? What's going to be the number one goal of my life? You cannot serve them both. So don't waste money and also don't love it. And third, don't trust it. 
Don't trust money. What does this manager do? In verse 3, he says, what shall I do now? I will no longer have my job. The master's taking away my job, is what he says. So he has not put his security in money. I mean, many of you know what it's like to lose your job, to be out of work, and all of a sudden you feel like, I don't have any security anymore. I've lost my job. Like, this is scary for me. And like I've reminded you before, never put your security in something that can get taken away from you. Don't put security in something that somebody else or something else can take away from you. In fact, it's an interesting uh, verse, but in Proverbs uh, verse Chapter 23, verse 5, it says this, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. How many of you relate to that, right? Money just, it was there, and here, just a short time later, it's gone. It's just not there anymore, right? It'll just sprout wings like an eagle. And if you, if you look at a dollar bill, it's so interesting because it's so nice and helpful of the U.S. Treasury to put on every single dollar bill an eagle here on the back to remind you and me that it's going to sprout wings and this thing going to fly away. You just, just glance at it and it's gone. That's the way it works, right? So nice and helpful of that. It's going to be gone like the wind. That's the nature of money. So we don't put our security in money. We don't trust money. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. There's a frustration there's a frustration in life. Life itself is frustrating in so many ways, but Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, the book, tells us what one of these main frustrations is. He says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Then he said to them, uh, or, sorry, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. What, what's the author saying? A, a better rendering of the word meaningless for English language, you know, that's Hebrew, and it's now translated into English. I think a better translation of that word meaningless is frustrating. Think about that principle. Whoever loves money never has enough. How frustrating is that? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Their income goes up, they're still never satisfied. Their income goes up, they're still never satisfied. How frustrating is that? It's meaningless. Luke 12, 15, Jesus is speaking. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Don't expect it to satisfy. The more stuff you have, the more your stuff has you. The more that you own, the more that you maintain. You ever thought about buying acreage? When you buy a lot of acreage, it just means there goes your weekends. You're buying a tractor, you're buying like land, you gotta take care of more land. The more you have, the more that what you and I have has us. Do you remember the day when you could pack everything you owned in a Honda Accord? <laughs> the more we have, the more what we have has us. So life doesn't consist in the accumulation of possessions, does it? What happens? I want us to discover five things, five things that God says about money, and they're so radical, so countercultural, they're the exact opposite of what you and I are taught in mass media and in financial, uh, you know, uh, instruction. But if you act on these five areas and you live by these, the stress level in your life is going to decrease a lot. It's going to go way, way, way down dramatically. So we've got to remember some things every day. 
So what do you and I remember every day when it comes to money? First thing we remember is it all belongs to God. See, when you think that you give your life to God, you're just like, God, I just give you me so I get salvation. The truth is it's total surrender, and that means everything is God's, everything. People get all upset about tithing, but that's because they don't understand that it all belongs to God. At tithing, you're only talking about a percentage, but everything belongs to the Lord. It said that this manager was to take care of his possessions, not his own possessions, God's possessions. Everything in your life, as we've talked about, is a rental. Everything is a rental. Your body is a rental. Your ride is a rental. Your bride is a rental. Your hairline is a rental. Everything's a rental in life. Your job, everything, it's a rental. It belongs to God. We only manage it for a short while. And then we give it up and we don't take it with us, do we? And when you begin to think that everything belongs to God, when you begin to own that, when you begin to think this way, it radically changes how you operate in life and it radically makes your worry and your stress go down. A number of years ago, I was fishing out in, I lived in Colorado at the time, and I was fishing out there and I came back to my car and as I'm coming back to my car, which was a Ford Explorer at the time, I noticed that there was a man standing right by the passenger window of my car. And I'm coming up this dirt path, and I look, and I'm parked right off the side of the road, and this guy glances up and sees me, and he has a bag with him, and he takes off kind of running down this path. And I'm not sure yet what's going on. I literally look suspicious. So I get around the corner of my car, and I look, and all the glass from the passenger side window is on the ground, and he smashed my window, and the glove box is open. And so I look at the guy, and I think about chasing him, and he looks back at me, and he just takes off running. But then I think, man, I don't know if he's got a gun or anything. I've got a fishing rod, so I can do a whole lot. You know, I thought about maybe even just casting out there and seeing, could I get him, you know? But couldn't do that. And I, I, So I look, and I take inventory, right? Your car gets broken into, your house gets broken into, you take inventory, right? So I look, and the glove box is open, and I realize, oh, my gosh. He took my small little leather um, just compact. It's got a little clasp on it, and it's just this beautiful little leather Bible. He stole my Bible. He probably thought it was like a wallet or something, right? But it's this little compact Bible. It had a little snap closure. He's like, hey, that's like a purse or something. You know, think about that. He stole the Word of God. And wouldn't that be funny if later on somebody comes up to me and is like, hey, I hate to tell you this, but uh, years ago, I actually broke into your car and I stole your Bible and maybe he came to the Lord. I don't know if that would ever happen. I don't know if that would ever happen. How cool would it be to steal the Bible and have the Word of God be hidden in your heart? Here's what I think God wants you to do today. I think God wants you to steal the Word of God today. And beyond your defenses about money, I think he wants you to hide it in your heart. I think he wants you to take a new look at his word, not just be knowledgeable about his word, but I think he wants you to steal it, steal these truths and hide them in your heart. That's what God wants to do in you today. But it's different. I mean, my car gets broken into. It's still very inconvenient, right? Am I glad he didn't get more? Yes. But I still had to pay for the window, right? I still had to go the inconvenience of getting that thing repaired. But when you begin to think about everything being God's, it changes how you look at life. Because what happens is this. You begin to say, God, it's all yours. So your car, you're driving your car and you get in a fender bender. And you're like, oh, you get up front and you look at the damage and you're like, God, your car got in a fender bender. What do you want me to do with that? You want me to fix it? You got kids. 
and their teeth are all like pointing crazy directions. And you're like, my kids need braces. And then you go talk to the orthodontist, you're like, God, your kids need braces. You got to do something about that. And you begin to watch God provide in different ways because you're a manager of everything that's his. It's all his. You become a manager of everything. It's so different when you do that. I, I know a guy one time who actually would take a ball ping hammer and he, when he got a brand new car, he'd go to one side and he'd just find a little place on the side panel and he'd just be like, whack. His kids are like, Dad, why did you put a dent in the car? He goes, it reminds me that everything is God's. And if it's perfect, I'll get so upset the first time it gets scratched or dinged. So he's like, I'd rather be proactive and it, it's what I got to do to remind me that it's God's. God, I just dinged your car. What do you want me to do with that? Right? It's all his. It all belongs to him. And that's so important for us to understand. Let me ask you this. We're managing God's money. So anytime that we waste money, we're wasting God's money. Let me ask you this. Is, think about this week. Did you spend money on something that would grieve the heart of God? Did you spend money on sin? Did you spend money on, did you just waste money on just meaningless whatever? Ouch, right? All of us are kind of like, ow, that, that hurts because this week I chose to exert control. God, this is my money. I'm going to do with it what I want. And again, the issue is the heart. I begin to say, I want to be God. This is my money instead of you being God. And we face that tension. God wants to free us up to where our heart is devoted to him. And then it releases us from the stress and worry of so much of what consumes us. So first of all, we remember it all belongs to God. Secondly, God is using money to test me. He says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Again, that's God is using money to test me. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Moths and rust can destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. Listen, again, the issue is the heart. The issue is not the treasure. And it's not the violation of robbery. The issue is our heart. That whatever we invest in, our heart is there. And God's going to use money to test us. Because God's going to look at us and he's going to say, money is one of the best indicators of where your heart is. I mean, it's great for you to say, God, I love you with all my heart. But God's like, just to be honest, let's just take this for a minute. Because this is the best indicator of where your heart is. This is empirical evidence, not just the value of your words, right? So let's just see, if you, as you and I use money, let's just see where our heart actually is. He goes, this is the evidence by which you and I, you and I, and also God can evaluate us. And so it does a couple things, three things that it does when God uses money to test us. First of all, it shows what I love most. What I do with my money shows what I love the most. Wherever you want your heart to be, just put some money into that. Just invest into that and you will get invested. Why? Because you gave to it. Because you bought that product. If you want to know what do you love and where, how do I get my heart to engage with something else, give toward it. If you gave a couple weeks ago to people who were impacted by the earthquake in Nepal, and by the way, let me just tell you that, it was $12,848. And let me just mention, you can clap if you want, but um, let me just mention, 
because I, I was remiss in not mentioning this last week. There are exactly zero dollars toward administrative costs in that. 100%, every cent, goes straight through seed to gems to those people in Nepal. Every penny that was given. Not 80%, not some percentage, all of it. But when you do that, you begin to care as you look at the news. Like, I gave, I'm invested, so you care. I would think in this room that there's probably not a lot of you in this room who actually care how the corporation Microsoft does. And I would surmise, though, that if you decided to buy some stock, suddenly you would care very much how that corporation does. Are they going to win? Are they going to fail? Are they going to succeed? Because why? Because you're invested in it. When you give, when you pay, you become invested in the very thing. Your heart follows your giving. Your heart follows your spending. So money shows what you and I love the most. God uses it to test us. Secondly, it shows what I trust most. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. It shows what I have faith in. It shows what I trust. Am I trusting money for my security or am I trusting God for my security? Am I trusting money for my happiness or God for my happiness? Am I what am I using my time and my money on? It shows what I trust most. It shows what I trust. It shows what I love. And then third, it shows if God can trust me. That's the reverse, isn't it? See, it's not showing what I trust, but it shows can God trust me? Can God trust me with little, and can God then trust me with much? It begins to reveal can God trust us? Luke 16, verse 11, Jesus said, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? It's kind of like him saying this. Listen, if you're a bad renter, you're going to be a bad homeowner. You're not going to take care of your house. You're going to let it go to ruin. You're going to let it go to rot. You're not going to pay your mortgage on time if you couldn't pay your rent on time. If, if that's the way it is, he's saying, listen, but when you're faithful with little, you're going to be better when you have much. If you've been the best renter to people, you're going to be a pretty good homeowner someday. And what he's saying is this, when you have a little and you invest in it and honor God with it, when you've been trustworthy with it, then he's going to give you more. So when God gives us money, it reveals if he can trust you and me. It shows if God can trust us with more. God says, I'm going to see how well you manage what I've given you, the little I've given you, before I give you spiritual blessing. Can I trust you with more or are you out squandering the little bit that I'm giving you. It shows if God can trust me. See, out of control finances actually just lead and out, uh, they just reveal an out of control life. Isn't that true? That when our finances are out of control, that's an outward symptom of a heart condition, of something going on, on the inside, and that's where you and I have to be able to identify it and see it and say, I need a Lord. What's a Lord? I need a CEO. Because my life is out of control. My, my finances are showing that my life needs a Lord in my life. I need a Savior. And most of you are like, I'm totally aware that I need the Savior. God saved me from my out of control finances. But God's saying, you need me to be Savior and Lord. Because I own everything. And you're managing it 
and I've put you in charge of these possessions. And I'm looking at how you manage. So you need my counsel. You need my wisdom because it shows me where your heart is at. And I love you so much. I want your heart. You need God because your life has become unmanageable. So we realize, number three, that money is a tool. Money is a tool. See, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. There's nothing righteous about money. Money is neither moral nor immoral. It's just amoral. It's just, it's neither. And, and so money is just a tool that's used. And you can use it for good or you can use it for bad. In fact, if you have a Bible, circle the word use in verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. What's he saying? Your money is a tool. Use it. Circle that word. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Some of you are like, wait, what, what, what? I thought that money is the root of all evil. I thought the Bible says the money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't. The Bible says it's not money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's happening in here. This is happening out there. The love of money is the root of all evil. Why? Because like we talked about last week, when we fear, we begin to control. I will control my money. I will manage it for myself. I'll try to put security in it. And then what happens? Then control leads to sin. So when we work that backwards and we look at our sin, we say, oh, I'm wasting money. Oh, I'm out of control life in some ways. We work it back and we go, I'm trying to control. And the root of control is fear. I'm not trusting God with my money. So it shows up up here, but the root is my fear down here. Money's not the root of all evil. You don't say, bad dollar, sit. <laughs> See, it's a tool. It can be used to build great churches. It can be used to help people in Nepal. It can be used to help get people off the street. It can be used to finance drugs. It can be used for organized crime. We're not to love it. God, Jesus says, use it. Use it for right things. Jesus says, you and I, we're supposed to love people and use money. But what happens to us? We do the backwards thing. We begin to love money, so we use people. And then we actually use people to get more money. Why? Because our fear leads to control, which leads to sin. What are we trusting? How beautiful is it when we go from using people and loving money to loving people and using money for good? There's a beautiful thing that happens in the heart. You can use money to save lives, do good, to honor God. You can do right things with money. Let's look at this dishonest manager. I mean, what did Jesus like about this guy? He already says he's a crook. What did Jesus like about it? There are some things that Jesus really liked about this crook. And so let's look at what they are. There are three things that he loved about this guy, three things that this guy did right, and three things that give you and I an indication of how we ought to use our money, what we ought to do with it. First of all is he looked ahead in verse 3, he looked ahead. In other words, he realized, I'm, I'm going to be out of a job. Like, I, I am looking ahead. There's a problem at hand. I've been exposed, so I need to take the long view. Proverbs 14, 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Let me ask you this. What financial facts in your life are you unwilling to face? Here's the facts, and you're just not willing to face them right now. 
For some of you, it's looking like this guy did and said, if I lose my job, the money ends. So he's looking ahead and saying, my current life is unsustainable. And some of us in this room are looking at the facts and not willing to face them because the facts are telling us what we're doing right now is unsustainable. No matter how much you believe or have faith or are well-intentioned, you cannot sustain the habits that you and I have when it comes to money. And some of you are in a house that you can't afford. You really can't, and you need to downsize, and you need to get out, and you need to start over. And you, as much as you love the place, and then what happens? You get out, and you start over, and you find out home is not a building. Home is people. But we put our hope in a building, in a structure. This is not the church. It's a building. We're the church. We love people. We leverage money to love people more. That's the way God works. Some of you are driving a car, and you cannot afford the car you're driving. And you love the luxuries of it, and you love the esteem and the status of it, but you need to get out of that car. You might need to drive a $5,000 car. Could you drive a $5,000 car? Yeah. Could you drive it for 10 years? No way. It won't last that long but it may outlast the degree you're spending on your car right now, which is unsustainable. You need to make a choice. You need to come to a place where you're saying, what financial facts are you and I unwilling to face right now? As you look ahead, that's what this true guy did. He looked ahead, he saw the facts, and he was willing in that moment to face them. It's why at this church we do steps to financial peace. We offer that course all the time because we think it's one of the most helpful ways to minimize stress in people's life and help them manage money. So instead of being managed by money, I now am managing my money in a way that's leveraging it for the ends that I want. It enables me to give. And we will teach that class over and over. And by the way, let me just let you know, like a class that just has been going on right now, maybe a fifth of that class are people who go to Sun Grove. The rest, they just went to the Dave Ramsey site. They said, where's the class happening close to where I live? And they went. And it's such a celebration in that class when after only nine weeks, they look at it and go, look how much debt we reduced. Look how we set up a plan. Look at how we saw what was going ahead. We finally faced our spending habits. And there's a freedom but it's not just a freedom in my pocketbook, it's a freedom in my heart. And that's what they're experiencing. And we'll offer that class over and over again because we think God will work through that. We think that God will say, listen, as you're understanding that the Bible does have good wisdom in how we manage our finances, that there's also a freeing that happens in your heart and God will leverage that when it happens in a church with church people. We're intentional about that. What are the second thing he did? He made a plan. Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. He made a plan. What is a budget? A budget is simply a plan for how you're going to spend your money. Most of you think a budget is a plan to tell you what you can't spend on. But the truth is a budget is a plan for you to spend on the essentials. You say yes to things that you love, that you need to spend on. And you say no to things that you would like to love, but you're saying yes to things that you love even more. In other words, I love to not have the stress financially. So I'm going to say yes to spending on the things I need to. I'm going to say no to the things that I don't. A budget is a plan. That's what this guy had. He had a plan. I'm losing my job. I'm making a plan. He's shrewd. I'm going to go back. And in his case, he was dishonest. But he worked his plan, right? Third, he acted quickly. He didn't wait. He acted quickly. He gets commended for that. He didn't delay. He didn't say someday. Someday I'm going to get my finances in order. 
You know why? Because when you say one of these days, you really mean none of these days. One of these days, I'm going to give my life to God. You know what you're saying? None of these days am I going to give my life to God. You're stalling. You're waiting. You're saying, I'm going to be Lord of my heart. I'm going to be in control of my life. I'm not going to surrender everything, my whole, my all, my heart to God. One of these days becomes none of these days, and then that day sneaks up on you. And the consequences of that decision are great. The thing that Jesus is commending is not his dishonesty, but his attitude. He says, I'm going to think ahead. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to invest in some relationships when I'm out on my rear end. I've got some people who welcome me to their homes. In other words, they'll feed me. We'll hang out. We, I've invested some relationships, and I can begin to go from there. Maybe one of these people might even hire me. They're smart. Most of you in this room, you might not have a plan for the future. You're just drifting through day to day. It's not wise. You've got to take the long view. And when Jesus is talking about the long view, he is not talking about retirement. In this parable, he's very clear that what he's talking about when he looks at the long view is life on the other side of death. Eternal life, eternal reward. He's saying this, are you storing up treasure in heaven or are you spending it all on yourself here? He's saying, did you think that I created you to spend it all on yourself here? Or are you storing up for yourself treasure in heaven? What are you going to do with money? Number four, the best way, best use of money is to get people to heaven. It's the best use of money. In verse 9, he says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, listen, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Does that shock you? Does it sound like God is saying you could buy your way into heaven? He's not. That is absolutely not what God is saying. He's not saying you can buy your way into heaven. What he's saying this is use your money to build relationships that are going to go on and on and on in eternity. Spiritual friendships. Use your affluence for influence. And when I use my money to help other people get to know Jesus, I gain friends for eternity. I gain reward for eternity. So what's he saying? Use your money in such a way as to make spiritual friends. People will be with you forever. Imagine with me, just a minute, someday you and I, we're, we're going to die. But you get to heaven. Let's say maybe there's a hundred people there who are just clapping and they're shouting and saying, we've been waiting for you. We're so indebted to you. You used money while you were on earth so that we could hear about Jesus, so that we could respond to the good news of Jesus, so that we could be in heaven and you, they're clapping and they're shouting and you basically have these eternal friends who are saying, we're indebted to you. If it wasn't for the way that you use money, we may never have had the chance to hear the good news of Jesus. Some of you are saying, Dave, that's so dramatic. But let me say right now, you're sitting in a chair maybe you didn't pay for. Some of you responded to Christ, hearing the good news of the gospel because someone else cared enough about you to invite you or to invest in influencing and relationship with you. And because of that, you are in debt to them. Some of us grew up in churches that other people paid for and invested in so we could have a chance to hear the gospel. We're in debt to them. We'll be those people clapping. One day I'll give an account to God. One day I will give an account to God. That's what the master or the Lord of all of his riches says to this manager. He says, give an account of your management. 
One day there's going to be an audit on your life. How did you use your money and everything that God gave you and God gave me? What did we do with our talent, our relationships, our opportunities, our mind, our creativity, our contacts, our influence? What did God do? What did you do with what God gave you? God's going to give you and I a life audit one day. One day, our time as a manager of our stuff that we have on earth is going to end, just like it did for this manager here. Life's it's going to end, and we're going to give an account before God. God says, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to see what you're doing with what you've been given. Are you spending it all on yourself? Did you think I just created this life on earth just for you? One day your management career is going to end. And the scripture says, each of us will give a personal account to God. So we realize, I'll give an account to God. And then number six, are we faithful with little? God will trust me with more. What a beautiful thing. If I'm faithful with little, God will entrust me with more. Let's say that God has given you just a little bit of talent. Just a little bit. You're like, I'm not one of those like hyper-talented people. I've just got a little bit of talent. So God's giving you a little bit of talent. But let's say that you bring your little bit of talent and your availability. You bring your ability, little ability, and your availability. God will bless it. He'll give you more ability. What happens? You get more talent. He'll give you more because you were faithful with little. Some of you are saying, I'm not one of those rock star type people. I'm just going to bring the talent I've got. And you know what? You do that, God will give you more talent. You say, I'm not a huge influential person. You say, God, I'm just going to bring the little influence that I have. That's what I'm going to do. And God says, I'll give you a lot more influence. If you bring me just the little you have, you watch me multiply it. Because that's what I do. When you're faithful with little, I'll make you faithful with much. You say, God, I've got a little bit of money. I'm going to use this wisely, as you say, to use it. And God's going to increase your material possessions. It's true of your opportunity. It's true of your net worth. It's true of everything in life. When we're faithful with little, he's going to make us faithful with much. As your pastor, I want you to have abundance in a lot of areas of your life. But so often out of fear, we're controlling what we have. And we're raising our stress level in life, and we're not free. Faithfulness in little ways produces fruitfulness in big ways. Some of you are saying, wait, well, when I make it big, then I'll become generous. No, that's not the way it works. Why? Remember, even if your salary goes up, you're never satisfied. So if you're waiting to be satisfied to be generous, that just isn't going to happen. It's an interesting idea. I, this week in the church here, we had 250 uh, store managers of Starbucks doing training for the day here in the church. Think about that for a minute. 250 Starbucks stores in Northern California. That's a lot of coffee, right? So they're, they're all in here. They're all doing this training this week, and they're here in the building, and we offered the building to them for free. Why? Because I think I have a Starbucks ministry. Do I like coffee? Yeah. There are sometimes I I fast from coffee and I don't drink it and I go in and get hot water because I'm building relationships. See, if I go to Target, I don't really get to know the Target people. I, I just don't. I get there, I shop, and I'm, I'm waiting to get out of there almost as fast as I can. But, but Starbucks is a place that I go and it's there that I can build relationships. See, what happens here in church is this. You come to church and you're here and then you go out and you bring value to your business and your school and your home. You go out to bring value to your corporation. Think about my role. I'm here. I can bring some influence here on Sundays, but I believe that God has given me a ministry at Starbucks. Do I believe everything that Starbucks as a corporation does? No. Do I own Starbucks stock? No. Do I drink coffee? I do. 
Would I drink it from somewhere else? I would. But I believe that God has given me an opportunity to build intentional relationships to invest in his kingdom. And when I get to know people and they walk into this building, they interact with the love of Jesus that doesn't make sense because they know what it would cost to go rent somewhere else. And they say, listen, look, we're, we're in here. We got 250 people. Can we give you guys some toilet paper? Can we do like, I'm like, is it out? They're like, no, it's not out. I'm like, you know, but, um, but I'm like, whatever. They just interact with the love of people here. And, and, it, and I think God will leverage that. What has he done? He's expanded our influence. How did it start? I offered a local district manager, hey, if you want to have a manager's meeting, have it here. We'll let you use the building for free. Over the last three years, that's expanded. We had 250 managers in here this week. What are you doing to bring value to your corporation, to leverage what little you have for the kingdom of God? Bring value to your corporation. See, some of you are like, listen, when I make it big, then I'll start tithing. No, you won't. See, it's when you're poor that tithing begins to get you out of poverty because God gets a hold of your heart and it changes your spending habits and it changes your routines and it changes where you are that you're faithful to honor God with the first of your heart and then the first of your wealth, the first way you have only understanding everything is his and it's that that gets you out of poverty and then you start managing well what God has given you and he'll trust you with more and he'll trust you with more. That's how it works. But it starts with giving yourself to God. There's an ultimate surrender and it's not a partial surrender. It's I give you me. God, I'm giving you myself to you. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes without being distracting to anybody around you? It's just to take an audit of your own life. Believers in the room, I want you to think for a minute, how have you been using God's money? Are you managing what he's given you? And maybe it's a point of today of just saying, God, it's admission. I admit, here's what I've been, what I've been doing. And then maybe God is just quickening your heart. He's been telling you today, there's a plan and there's a way to go about this and you just need to follow through on that plan. It's not a guilt and it's not a shame. It's an encouragement. God's calling time out, I believe, intentionally today for some of you because he wants your heart. He loves you that much. For some of you in this room, you're realizing, I have never said yes to Jesus. I've never given my life to the Lord. And today is the day to do that, that you're just saying, God, I surrender me. I ask you to come into my heart. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose to new life, that he died on the cross to take your debt, your sin upon himself. And because he did that, right relationship with him, the God of the universe, can be restored. And if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, today's the day of surrender for you. Then you pray a prayer right where you're seated. You just silently pray it. God hears you. Just pray like this after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I give you me. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a new creation. God, I believe you died on the cross that you were buried in a grave, that you rose to new life, and that you are God and I am not. So today, Jesus, I give you me. If you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? Anywhere around the room, you just be bold and put your hand up. Hold that high. We'd like to have some friends. You got some information about the decision you make. They'd like to find you. And so just hold your hand up long enough. They'll come and get you. Anywhere around the room saying, Lord, today, today is the day of salvation. God, we're so grateful for you in our lives. We're so grateful that you left the comfort of heaven, that you left everything because you loved us enough to pursue our heart. Thank you, God, that you pursue us when we've been faithful. When we've been unfaithful, you still pursue us because you love us that much. God, we want to respond to you with our heart. Thank you, God, for being strong when we are weak. Thank you, God, for being loving 
and that you care for us with all your heart. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for being here today. We're going to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.